Thank you for tuning in to the podcast of Western Heights Baptist Church in Waco, Texas. We exist to exalt Christ, equip the church, and engage the community. For more info, visit whbcwaco.org. Today, we're going to talk about something that uh, is probably going to depress you. It's probably going to bring you a little bit down, but, uh, you know, I'm just here to report the news, okay? Here it is. Y'all ready? Write this down. You might want to know this. We all live with temptation. Every one of us in this room has been tempted, is being tempted, and will be tempted until the day we die. It is a a reality that we live with on a daily basis. No one is exempt from temptation. You might be tempted today to not honor your mama. Okay? You might be. Uh, Let me tell you. Don't, don't go there. Don't go there. Honor your mama. Send her some flowers. Give her a phone call. Or better yet, <laughs> take her out to eat and take dad with you. Okay? <laughs> uh, hint, hint. You know, so, uh, <laughs> you know, take him out to eat and say, Dad, could you pay for that today? He said, she ain't my mama. <laughs> no. The fact of the matter is we all live with temptation. It's a daily part of our life. It's, it's probably the common denominator of everybody in this room. You look around, and everybody in this room is like, yep, they've been tempted. They've been tempted. They've been tempted. We're all alike when it comes to that. You could say that temptation is the thorn in our flesh. All of us have that, and we always wonder how we're going to get away, for, get away with it. We've been looking at the book of James under the heading Practical Christianity. You know, James is kind of the nuts and bolts of the Christian life. You want to know how to live it? Look at the book of James. Last week we talked about, James gave his practical advice about wealth. We learned about, you know, proper perspective on poverty, proper perspective on wealth, which would then lead to a proper perspective on life. Today, James changes it. He says now he wants to talk about temptation. And he wants to give us some practical advice about temptation. So look at James chapter 1 verses 12 through 16. As we look at these words this morning, here's the abiding truth of this passage. When we understand the truth about temptation, we are better equipped to rise above it. Listen to what James says. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when by his own evil desire he is dragged away and is enticed. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Two important truths for us to understand in this passage. First, we need to understand the source of temptation. The first thing he tells us here is that temptation never finds its source in God. Look at verse 13. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. You notice he talks about he includes everyone. He says, no one, not one individual should be able to say that God is tempting me. Not one person in this room should say that God is tempting me. So he, he includes everyone in that. But we also need to know in the original languages, this is a command. This is not a suggestion. This is not a good idea. It's in the imperative mood, which means that James is saying, don't you even dare think about believing that God is tempting you. Don't you go there. This is a command that we are to follow. It's a command that we are to obey. 
God never has and God never will induce any man to sin. God is never the source of temptation. But man has long tried to blame God for the temptations. This goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. Genesis chapter 3, it's, it's all there. What was it? After, after Adam and Eve had sinned, God came and he asked the man, what is this you have done? And what was it the man did? He took it like a man. He goes, it's that woman you gave me. In other words, really what he's saying, he really wasn't blaming the woman. He was blaming God because why? You gave her to me. In other words, God, this is your fault. If you hadn't given me this woman, I never would have been tempted to eat of that fruit to begin with. So it's your fault, God, because you gave me the woman. Uh, we do the same thing today. One poet said it this way. You know that you have made you, you know that you have made me with passions wild and strong, and listening to their voices has often led me wrong. This is his way of saying, God, you made me this way. God, you made me with these passions. You made me with these desires. In other words, God, it's your fault because I'm the way I am. That was his way of saying, God, it's your fault. And we do it all the time. We try to blame God. We point to God as a source of temptation. Are you tempted to blame God for temptation? Do you fall in that trap? You're probably sitting there and say, say, God, you are the one who placed me here. God, you're the one who put me in these circumstances. God, you're the one that allowed me to go through this opportunity that has arisen in my life. And what we're doing, we're accusing God. We're accusing God of, of that happening. I, I do it. I do it. I say, God, why did you put me in this situation? Why did you do that? Why did you allow me to be in this. So whether we're subtly doing it or we're blatantly doing it, James says, stop it. Stop it. God is not the source of temptation. But James doesn't just tell us why we are to stop doing something. Like I said, James is very practical. He's going to tell us why we should not do it. He gives us a description of God in verse 13. He says, for God cannot be tempted by evil. What he's saying is there, God is never the object of temptation. God can never be tempted. It's he's impossible for him to be tempted. He is immune to temptation. It's impossible for God to be tempted. But I know what you're saying. Well, what about Jesus? Marcy just told the story. Jesus was tempted. Yes, in his human flesh, but not in his divine nature. In his divine nature, Jesus could not be tempted. He would, he would not succumb to temptation. But in his human flesh, yes, he could be tempted. But God, by nature, is never the subject of temptation. He's not the object of temptation, but neither is he the subject of temptation. Look at that next part. Nor does he tempt anyone. So not only is God not the object of temptation, temptation doesn't come from him. He's not the subject of it. He does not tempt anyone. He never solicits anyone to sin. God cannot be tempted to tempt you. He can't do it. You're probably all familiar with this uh, uh, series of movies that's out. I think it's on number eight or number nine or something like that. I can't remember where I lose track of them. And, and in this, uh, this Hollywood cinematic theology, the God of the universe is described as the force. And the force is the guiding principle behind the universe. And this force has 
a good side and a bad side. This force has light, it has darkness. This force has good, it has evil. And, and you have the ability to choose to walk with the good force or the evil force. That's cinema, that's cinema, that's theology uh, based on Hollywood. But James says, in God there exists no evil. God is perfectly good in everything, so don't succumb to the temptation to think that this evil that is coming your way is coming from God. God is incapable of doing that. God by nature is good. With God there is no dark side. There is no evil side in God. Are you allowing the temptation to affect your perception of God? Or do you look at God as some great cosmic tempter and he's behind every temptation that you find yourself in? Do you think of God as some great cosmic sadist who delights in seeing you being tempted? Do you look at God as some heavenly tyrant who likes to put you through the ropes as you go through that? What you need to know, God is on your side. When it comes to temptation, God is on your side. Matter of fact, the Apostle Paul said it this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. He said this, no temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. You hear that? God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. So here's the practical advice that James gives us. Temptation never roots in God. God is it's not the source of temptation. But he also reveals something in verses 14 through 15. Uh, he says we are to accept personal responsibility for temptation. So the source is not from God. He said actually the source is from us. Look what he says in verse 14. But each one is tempted when by his own evil desire. Uh, James alliterate, uh, proves this. He, he really illustrates this well. He talks about our own evil desire. By using that phrase, he's talking about the internal nature that is existent within us. The word desire means to, to, um, uh, to, to a, a passionate impulse inside of us. We all have this passionate impulse within us. He said we all have this internal nature within us. But not only does he talk about that, he also says each one. And by saying each one, he's saying this is universal in nature. Each one of us has this passionate desire down deep inside of us. We all have it, but then he goes on and he talks about, he says the word own. In other words, he says you own, you all each have a unique desire. Here's what he's saying. What tempts you may not tempt me. And what tempts me may not tempt you. He said, that is within each one of you. You have this desire within you that you just cannot get away from. It's down deep inside of you. Now you're asking, well, where did it come from? Sin. It goes back to Genesis chapter 3 when the sin nature came upon us because of Adam's sin. Because of one man, all have sinned. We don't sin because of Adam. We sin because we're sinners. And we like to sin. It's in our nature. It's this carnal nature that exists within us. In one of, Julius, in one of William Shakespeare's plays, Julius Caesar, he really illustrates this well. Brutus is looking for someone to cast the blame 
for his actions. And he looks in the stars. He goes, the blame is in the stars. And Cassius looks at Brutus and he says this, the fault, dear Brutus, is not in the stars, but in ourselves. You didn't even know Shakespeare had theology, did you? The fault, dear Brutus, is not in the stars, but in ourselves. But don't we like to pass the blame somewhere else? Don't we wish we could cast the blame on others? James is saying, don't do that. Does James' words have anything to say to us? You see, we can't say, God made me do it. Or we can't say, the devil made me do it. I've been there. I've done that. When I was a little boy, I, I was old enough to stay home by myself. My mom and dad went out and went somewhere, and they left me at home. A bad mistake. Bad mistake. Uh, they left me home. I, I may be 10, 11, maybe 9, I don't know. But remember, I lived in a time when we left our front doors open, okay? So, uh... Uh, anyway, I stayed home, and uh, my mom and dad had that old, uh, I'm really dating myself, but they had the old Formica table. Remember the old Formica tables? And you had the little six little vinyl chair, chairs that sit around it. But we had, there's five of us in our family, so we put five chairs around the table, and then one, ta- one chair went into the back room where the desk was where my brothers shared the room. And so, uh, you know, they were gone, and so I decided I wanted to be a drummer. I, I, th- I thought God was calling me to be a drummer, and I thought the best place to practice my drumming was on those vinyl chairs. So I pulled one out from underneath the table, and I proceeded to ba-ba-loo, you know. <laughs> I'm really dating myself. I began beating on that vinyl chair like that, and lo and behold, you would not believe what happened. I ripped it all the way from that. And I looked at that and said, well, this is not going to go well for me. So I took the chair in the kitchen and took it back to the back bedroom and switched the chairs. They're never noticing. I even pushed it underneath the desk. That was my mistake. <laughs> to make them think that we'd actually been using it. You know, come on. And so, I mean, it wasn't any time. My mom and dad came home. I was a good little kid, you know. And uh, they came in, and I don't know why, but they went back in the bedroom and pulled that chair out. And there was that rip in the chair. And my mom and dad looked at me. Really, my mom. She looked at me and said... Well, somebody's been up to something. He said, what made you do this? And I said as quickly as I said, the devil made me do it. <laughs> the devil made me do it, Mom. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't get in trouble. <laughs> How could you punish me after I said that? I mean, who are you going to punish? The devil, right? You know, so you know, they, I'm sure they went in the back room and had a good laugh about that. Here's the point. The devil didn't make me do that. I did it. I chose to do something that I knew I shouldn't have done. I did it. But how many times are you in your own life? Are you supposed to, the devil made me do that. What does James say? No. No. He didn't make you do that. You did it. You did it because it's in your nature. We might say the circumstances made me do it or my peers made me do it. God says we are responsible for what we do. And we have to accept that responsibility. Recognize that temptation roots in us. It does not root in God. It may come to us in the form of a sexual desire. It may come to us through a temptation of wealth or or, or power or, or popularity. But whatever it is, that temptation comes because it's within us. It's on our shoulders. And we have to take responsibility. 
So understand the source of temptation. Second, we need to understand the strategy of temptation. James gives us a strategy. He said, because if you understand the strategy, you have a better opportunity to rise above temptation. And he gives us a very vivid picture in in this passage in verses 14 and 15. He says the first thing he wants us to know is that temptation is attractive. And the way he describes it, he talks about a fish. It's the word used of a, of a fish attracted to a lure. Here's the point. A fish is swimming out. Maybe it's in, in Lake Waco. A fish is swimming out, minding its own business, you know, just doing whatever fish do, you know. And all of a sudden, off to the side, off one eye, he sees something in the water. It's red. It's shiny. And it's going like this. He looks at it. He goes, that looks pretty good. That looks pretty tasty. So he kind of swims over there to it. And he gets over there. And he snaps it. Why? Because it's attractive. It looks good. It's pleased to the eyes. It looks good to eat. It'll satisfy me. And he takes it. Why? Because temptation is attractive. And hear me on this, my friends. If it wasn't attractive, we wouldn't be tempted. It's attractive. And then once he bites into it, he discovers something interesting. Instead of him having the lure, the lure has him. And that's the deceptive nature. See, temptation is attractive and it's deceptive. You think you have control of it. And what you discover is it has control of you. This is what James is trying to say. And once you have it, once that desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And then sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. Death. We need to understand the strategy of temptation. We need to understand the strategy of our our enemy. Do not be like the fish who's lured away. Understand the strategy that's taking place. You know, understanding the strategy of your opposition is the difference between winning a football game or losing it. You want to know what is the strategy this defense is using against me? What is the strategy this offense is using against me? Because if I know the strategy, then I can develop it. I can counter that. It's the same way in winning a war. When you go to war, you say, what's the strategy of our enemy? What are they trying to do? Because once we know that strategy, we're better equipped to win the war. Do you feel that you are fighting a losing battle with temptation? James says we can rise above it when we understand the source and we understand the strategy of temptation. Temptation is always attractive. Always. It'll appeal to your senses. Maybe it'd be beautiful to your eyes. Maybe that fragrance that you smell. Maybe it'd be words that somebody speaks to you, kind words or tender words. Maybe it's the tender touch or kind kindness that somebody performs. It will appeal to your ego, make you feel wanted, make you feel appreciated, make you feel loved, make you feel like you're needed, that somebody really wants you. It'll appear in different ways and at different times. But remember, it's deceptive. It will deceive you. And once it has has you, It's very difficult to let go. 
Temptation always promises more than it gives. Always. As I said at the very beginning, temptation is a reality of life. Everyone in this room has faced temptation, is facing temptation, and will face temptation. And you will do it till the day they close the last door on your life. You're going to live with it. It's a constant. But listen to me. Hear me on this. Temptation is not bad. Jesus was tempted. Temptation actually is neutral. Temptation is not bad. It's the hesitation and the participation that gets you in trouble. Hear me on that. Temptation is not bad. It's the hesitation and the participation. You see it. Instead of turning from it, you say, hmm. Looks a little bit attractive. You're hesitating. And then what do you do? You then begin to participate. And then you're caught. So where are you at in your life? What do these words have to say to you? Hopefully, as you've listened to these practical words from the book of James, you have a, a better grasp of how to deal with temptation in your own life. You're never going to win it totally. But you can be in better control if you keep your eyes on Jesus and not look at the world. As my seminary professor used to say, he said, glance at the world, but gaze at Jesus. It's okay. Glance at the world, but gaze at Jesus. Keep your eyes fixated on Him and what He has for you and His plans for you. And then you won't become distracted or pulled away by every whim in life. In a moment, we're going to have a time of invitation, a time for you to respond. Maybe you just need somebody to pray with you today. You need somebody just to talk with you and maybe give you some counsel. You know, sometimes just talking about it helps you deal with it. I'll be here at the front as the praise team comes and leads us in a closing song. This is an opportunity for you to respond to the, the message you've heard today. I'll be right here. Would you stand with me? As we gather together for this time of prayer, if the Lord is leading you to make a decision, maybe that's a decision of prayer. Maybe you say, yeah, I need to know more about what it means to be a follower of Jesus because I sure do know how to follow the world, but I'd sure like to know how to follow Jesus. We could tell you how to do that as we join together. Let me lead us in prayer. Father, we come before you. Thanking you, Lord, for this day that you've given to us. We can gather here. Sing your praises, Father. Hear your word proclaimed. Now, Father, we pray that you would speak to our hearts. Communicate, Father, what it is you'd have us to know. So that, Father, we can respond in the appropriate way. Glorify yourself in the decisions that will be made publicly and the decisions that will be made privately. And we say all this in the name of Jesus, our Lord and our Savior. Amen.